beautiful hymn. A man who lived many of his days as a master of a slave ship before the Lord saved his soul and used him in a mighty, mighty way. Let's pray before Pastor Zinker comes that God would use him. Many of you know that when Pastor Zinker went to the States five, almost five years ago, he was going for a year. And whilst he was there, his son, his youngest son, William, contracted E. coli, which attacked his almost every organ in his body and nearly took his life. William died, almost died two or three times in the hospital. The doctor said if he lived, he'd never be able to move, be nothing more than a vegetable. We rejoice that William is well, his mind as sharp as can be. There are still some things that we're praying for, that he might be able to walk like other children walk. And He's a blessing and a testimony of God's grace in healing hand, but we're continuing to pray for his full recovery. Let's pray before Pastor Zinker comes. I love this man and thank God that he's with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks that we can be together this evening. We thank thee for the trials that thou hast employed to make us what it is that would please thee most. We admit, Lord, we do not understand them all, cannot fathom why we should face them, but we do trust thee. We do pray now that thy servant, Pastor Zinker, would know thy help as he preaches thy word. Please fill him, Lord. Give him liberty. Help him, Father, to be led of thee. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would know that we've heard thy voice tonight. Speak to us, please. Speak, for thy servants are listening. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please take the Bible and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, please. And we'll look at this passage with God's help as we are turning to Deuteronomy chapter 1, I would just like to say we serve a great God, but He is also a good God. He is a great God and powerful and able to do all things, but He has condescended to have mercy on us, to give us His grace, to help us, to be so very kind to us when we don't deserve the least of His mercies. And I'm thankful that we can serve a great and a good God. I love your pastor and his wife and family and the work that God is using them to do here. It's a great privilege to be here. This is the first time I've been able to worship here in this place. And it's an amazing thing to see what God has done and how He's blessed and used the Moorlands and so many other folks here as you've come along to grow in the Lord and grow in grace. I can remember the very first time we had looked for uh, several months. We had had a burden for the, the town of Oxford. And we had asked God and prayed and fasted at different times that He would give us a place where we could begin to worship in Oxford. And this was a bit before Pastor and Mrs. Moreland came over. My wife and I and some of the other folks would walk around Oxford and we would knock on doors if we saw something that looked abandoned. And we would ask, is this something we could use to plant a church? And then someone told us about a little chapel on Albert Street and Pastor Sexton came over. I don't know if many of you know Pastor Sexton, but sometimes he has to use a cane to walk. And so he's had many reconstructive spine surgeries. But we saw this chapel, and he, he said, help me climb over the fence there. 
So I helped him climb over the fence, and we tried to, to look through the windows and see. And he said, I believe this is a place the Lord will give us. And we prayed, and what a wonderful thing to see what God has done. He's given that place, and now on and on and on, and God is blessed in so many ways. And it's a great encouragement to see some faces that have been here from the very beginning, and then some brand new faces as well. God is at work, isn't he? He's advancing, and he is so very kind to bless the gospel as it's been preached. I love your pastor. I trust him. He is a very, very dear friend to me, and I'm thankful to have this opportunity to be with you here and to worship with you. I hope you found your place there in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'd like to thank you for praying for William. We're so grateful for God's work in William's life and continuing to pray that he'll be able to walk again, someday run again, and the Lord will use him for his glory and for his honor. And Thank you for your kind welcome this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll read the the first eight verses together. I hope you'll follow along with me. You hold a copy of God's Word in your hand. Let's read beginning in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses is here. He's recounting all of God's work among the people of Israel. This is really his last sermon before he goes up into the mountain and dies. And so he is rehearsing all that God had done beginning in verse 1. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side Jordan in the wilderness in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel, and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had, command, had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sion, the king of the Amorites, which dwelled in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelled at Astaroth in Edre. On this side, Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites, and unto all the places neither unto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, and unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Now notice verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. I want to draw your attention to a phrase we find in verse 6. As Moses is giving this message that God has given to him, the Lord God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. I'd like to draw your attention to that last phrase in verse 6. Ye have dwelt long enough. God speaks to His people through Moses and helps them understand, You have dwelt long enough here in this place. And so with the, God's help this evening, I'd like to draw your attention to that phrase and speak on that topic. Ye have dwelt long enough here. I can remember the very first time coming to England, visiting as all Americans like to do, and English people usually don't like to do, the city of London. 
I can remember going to Parliament and seeing in front of Parliament an amazing statue. Here was a person. I didn't know who this person was, but he was on a horse. This was no ordinary horse. It looked like a war horse. And this person who I would later come to learn the identity of was on the horse and he was holding a sword and he looked fearsome. He looked like he was a leader, a commander, and he looked like he was about to charge into the enemy's ranks. And I thought, that's an amazing statue. Whoever sculpted that had an understanding of bravery and all these things. I came to understand that that was the the most brave of all kings, Richard the Lionheart. And he held that sword over his head, and he was ready to charge. But then I did something a few years later. I came back again to visit England, and I, I visited London, and I went to Parliament, and there again I saw the same statue. There he was, Richard the Lionheart, with his sword still in his hand, with his steed ready to charge, but he hadn't moved one millimeter since the previous time I saw him. In fact, he hadn't moved at all since 1856 when the statue was erected. And he looked like he was ready to charge, and he looked like he was powerful and a great commander, but he hadn't moved at all. You know, there's something great to be commended about faithfulness, isn't there? But there's a very fine line between faithfulness and just being comfortable. And God wants us to understand that it is important to be faithful. God calls us to be faithful. But He desires us to be more than faithful. He desires us to be faithful and obedient. And so as we look to God's Word this evening, may God help us understand for every believer in this place tonight, no matter how long or how short you've known Christ, there's more God has for you to live the Christian life in obedience to Him. He desires to reveal more of Himself to you, more of His grace to you, more of His goodness to you. But so many of us get comfortable, don't we? And we say, well... I've paid my dues. I'm going to sit back and relax and just, I'll be here. But I don't think anything great is in the future. I think that's all behind me. May God help us understand you have dwelt long enough in this place. Notice, if you would, this evening, the first thing in our text, the preparation from God. God had prepared His people in an amazing way. And in fact, before His people ever crossed the Red Sea, God had prepared Moses in a very special place. If you'll notice verse 6, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Now what is special about the mountain of Horeb? If you hold your place here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, turn with me back to Exodus chapter 3, and we find something happening here in Moses' life. Long before the Red Sea divides, long before the children of Israel go to the wilderness, Moses is herding someone else's sheep on the backside of a wilderness. Genesis or Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to, or there's that word again, even to Horeb. So the mountain of God, the Mount Horeb, this is the place where Moses, while he's out in the backside of the wilderness, the backside of the desert, as the Bible tells us, herding his father-in-law's sheep, he comes to this mountain and something amazing happens. Notice, if you would, verse 12. The Bible says, 
as God was speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God said to Moses, I will prove, I will give you a token that this is my word, and I will keep my promise that when you lead the children out of Egypt and we come to this wilderness, I will meet you again on this mountain, Mount Horeb. So Mount Horeb is a place of God's calling. It's a special place. It's a place you don't want to leave. You you just want to stay there. It's an amazing place with history, with some links you have to your past. It's a place of God's call. It's holy ground. It's where Moses took off his sandals. It's where the burning bush, God spoke through that. It's a special place. Notice not only that, if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 17, we find something else about Horeb. It's a place where God met His people in a wonderful way in providing for them. Chapter 17 of Exodus, notice if you would, verse 6. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that thy, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Not only that, now Israel had come through the Red Sea. They'd been delivered from Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness. They come to this place. Where are they? Mount Horeb. And God says to Moses, I want you to strike the rock. There's no water for the children of Israel to drink, and I'm going to provide a miraculous thing to see, and he struck the rock. Water came out, and they all had water. Mount Horeb was not only a place of God's calling, it was a place of God's provision. God met them there and provided for everything they needed, miraculously. And they could look back in their history and think, this is a place where everything we've ever needed, God has supplied, right here in Mount Horeb. Notice, if you would, just a few pages over in chapter 24 of Exodus, and we find something else about Mount Horeb. Exodus chapter 24, notice if you would please, verse 12, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. Do you remember from Exodus chapter 3 what the mount of God was called? Horeb. God calls Moses and Joshua up, and He gives them His commandments. He reveals Himself to them. And certainly Mount Horeb was not only a place of God's calling and a place of God's provision, but it was a place where God revealed Himself to His people. It was a place where they knew more about God through the progressive revelation of God to man. They knew more about God than any human beings had ever known about God since Adam and Eve had fallen into sin. And so this is a place where God is showing them the truth, God's law, His expectations, His word, and they're hearing it, they're being taught it. This is a place of great significance where all these things have happened in their lives. And then you'll notice in chapter 33 of Exodus something else about this special place. This was no ordinary place. This was a place that was holy. It was a place of God's calling, God's direction, God's provision, God's revelation to His people. Chapter 33, notice, if you would, verse 6. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. You say, what is all this about? All of the things that were extra that God had not commanded them, they set aside 
All of the things that they thought, this is not pleasing to God. There are things that have been added to our lives. There are customs we've been, we've been adopting of other people, perhaps, around which we live. And we've been allowing those things to creep into our lives. But at Mount Horeb, they set all those things aside. And they said, we want to live thoroughly for God. We want to be thoroughly right with God. This was a place of sanctification. This was a place of dedication. This was a place of great surrender. This was no ordinary place. This was a place Israel would have been happy to camp for many more years. Happy to stay for many more years. Why? It was a place where God had met them. It was a place where they'd heard and seen God work. But God said something amazing in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. Ye have dwelt long enough in this mountain. What does that mean? For us, by way of application, could we understand this? The Mount Horeb in your life, whatever place that is, wherever you first met God, wherever you've been uh, helped to understand the truth of God, or perhaps you've been called by God, or God has worked in your heart to surrender, that is not a place of permanence. That is a place of preparation. That is not all that God is ever going to do in your life. That is simply a place where God is preparing you for what He has next. You see, the children of Israel were not meant to spend all of their future in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness to prepare to conquer the promised land. They were there to learn the truth of God and to understand more about God. And so all of these things that were wonderful and blessings and helpful and what an encouragement they all were, they were not ultimately the place where God had for His people. He had more for them than they realized. He had more for them than they knew. Could I say this? God had more for them than they even wanted, perhaps. So think about this. Horeb is not built for Israel's enjoyment. Horeb was built for Israel's employment. And you are in a place in your life where you say, God has worked in my life. He's come to save me. He's worked in my heart. He's shown me His will. I've surrendered to Him. So many wonderful things have happened in the rearview mirror of my life. And I've enjoyed them, but don't stay here. God has more for you. You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. And all of the things in your previous life as a Christian are not just for your enjoyment, not just so you can tell stories and people can say, ooh, and ah. They are for your future to be used by God for His glory, for His honor. So all of your past is preparation for what God has for your future. This is so important to our understanding. Secondly, if you'll notice in verse 7, the plan of God. Back in our text, Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 7, God gives us a plan. And it is a plan to be obeyed by the children of Israel and by us this evening as well by application. God is preparing us for His plan. And we're being prepared in Mount Horeb to do a work on another mount. Notice if you would, verse 7, Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites. And unto all the places nigh thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, even the great river, the river Euphrates. 
Now, God says this, you are now in Mount Horeb, where you've met with me, where you've been provided miraculously by God, where you've sanctified yourselves, where you've heard my law revealed to you, but I have another mountain for you. And this mountain is not going to be a comfortable place. In fact, this mountain is in enemy territory. This mountain is going to have to be taken. This mountain isn't going to be given to you. All the things that have happened here at Horeb have been to prepare you to know God in a way with the faith that you have to believe that He's not just with you in the comfortable places, but He can be with you in the hard places. Like that hymn we sang just before the message this evening. God is not just with us when everything is bright and sunny and the butterflies are flying and all the tulips are blooming. God is with us in the dark places. And He's preparing us in the bright places to go through the dark times. And we don't need to think when difficult things happen to us, God has forsaken us. There are so many people who call themselves Christians, and you say, how are things going? They say, well, I think I'm losing my faith. Things have not been going well lately. I just have had a hard time. If God really cared about me, wait, as Job said, are we to be people who receive good from God's hand? But then when God gives us trials or burdens, we say, what is this? No, God knows what he's doing. And he never gives us something just for the sake of giving us a trial or a difficulty. He gives us that so he can use us in a way we could have never been used had we not been through that trial. Mr. Spurgeon said something I was helped by. And I don't have the direct quote, but he said something along these lines. He said, have you ever met a man who's never had a problem, never had a loved one die, never faced a serious illness, never gone through heartache with his children or his wife? He said that that man, I would not want to visit me if I were in the sickbed because he could offer me no real help. He could not empathize with my pain. But I would like to have someone who's gone through many deep, dark valleys. And when he visits me, he would tell me, God is enough. You and I can go through some difficult times, but God does not give us difficult times for their own sake. He is preparing us to take territory we could never have taken otherwise. Notice again in verse 7, a turning is needed. What are the first two words in verse 7? Turn you. There is a turning from inward and comfort and happiness and blessing to outward and risk and danger and battle. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing in the lives of each believer. He is turning us from soft, gentle Christians into mighty warriors in God's army. And we are to be turned God gives us so many blessings and so much grace, but it's not just for us to consume it upon ourselves and enjoy and say, my, isn't the Christian life a comfortable place to live? No, it is so we can take the truth into a world that is hating the truth, and we can go and see God do great things through the power of the gospel as we turn and go to places we've never been before. You have dwelt long enough in this mountain, God said. There's not only a turning, there's a traveling that is necessary. Turn you and take your journey. Isn't it interesting? Every one of us has a different journey. Our journeys are as different as our faces. If I asked each one of you who knows Christ as your Savior to come and give a testimony, you could give an amazing testimony of God's grace in your life and how He drew you to Himself and how He by His grace saved you, and it would be all different than everyone else's, and yet it would all be the same, wouldn't it? Because there's only one way to come to God, and that is through 
the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Every one of us have a journey, and every one of us have to take this journey. And where is the journey taking us? Notice the territory is named. Look at all the geographical features that are listed here. The plain, the hills, the vale, the south, the seaside, Canaan, Lebanon, the river Euphrates. This is comprehensive territory. No place is left untouched. We are to travel from a place of safety and provision to enemy territory and danger because that's what God has been providing for us and preparing us for. We are to go forward and advance for God. Well, this is what God is doing in our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ, after His death and burial and resurrection, stood and spoke to His followers. And with nail scars in His hands and in His feet, He said this, an even more comprehensive command. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a greater command than Moses gave Israel to go and take the mount here in these verses. This is a comprehensive command to go into all the world. There's not a country where we shouldn't be going. There's not a people we shouldn't be telling. Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. And we must come to know Him by faith. We must proclaim the gospel. So what is God helping us understand? He's helping us understand this, that there is much territory still to be taken. And only those who have been turned and only those who take up their journey will be those who make that advance into enemy territory and see what God will do. The third thing I'd like to draw your attention to is the purpose of God. Why did God prepare His people at Horeb? Why had they spent so much time? Why had Moses seen so much and understood so much at Horeb? Because God was going to use that place as a launching pad for them to take the land of Canaan. All of those things were not just so they could stay and camp and be comfortable. These were all lessons to be learned so they could go forward. And what did God promise Abraham? What did God promise Isaac? Notice verse 8. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord, notice this, swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. God had been promising this land to the patriarchs of Israel for hundreds of years, and now these people are going to enter in to see what God will do, the promises He'll keep. Notice the promise at the beginning of verse 8, Behold, I have set the land before you. God has a land for you to conquer. I don't mean by that a certain number of acres in Botley, or a certain number of acres somewhere outside of Oxford or Whitney or wherever you may live, I mean there's spiritual territory for you to take. Some of you have a besetting sin you think you will live with till you die. And God desires for you to have victory over that besetting sin. Some of you think yourselves to be victims of some vice. And you could never get over it. But God is more powerful than that vice. And He calls you to advance and to have victory in it. Now, this is what God has for us, not to live as victims on Horeb, but to live as conquerors in the enemy territory. In your spiritual walk with the Lord, God is calling you to advance, to get up out of your comfortable chair and to turn and to take your journey to meet God on the mountain where there's enemies all around. And God will meet you there. He's promised He'd be with us. Now, notice the progression, verse 7 
turn you and make your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites. Notice verse 8. Verse 7 says, go to the mount. Verse 8, behold, I have set the land before you. Go in. You see that progression there? God says, there's a place I want you to go to, and when you get there, don't stop. I want you to go in. There are places in your spiritual walk that need strengthening. There are things that you, in your perhaps if you're a married person, there are things in your marriage you think, these are weaknesses, but I'm just, I'm just going to live with it. Don't just live with it. Ask God to help you strengthen those things that are weak. Ask God to help you and enable you to have victory in those areas of your life because God desires you not only to go up to the problem, but to go in and conquer what God has given you. He's given you a calling for a cause. All that provision on Horeb was for a purpose. All of that revelation He gave you in the past was for a reason. It is not so you can be someone with a bloated head and a shrunken heart. Oh, I meet those people. Are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And they go and name all of their credentials. I am a this Christian, and a that Christian, and another Christian. And I could tell you that I'm sublapsarian, or infralapsarian, or supralapsarian. And I say, well, well, that may be all well and good. But who are you telling about Jesus Christ? Has God made a change in your life? Or are you seeking to make a dent in eternity for the sake of the gospel? And Christ has given us the promise. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, as we go into all nations, he would be with us always, even unto the end of the world. That as we go, Christ is with us. And Christ has never yet been defeated and never will be. Because he's the all-conquering Savior. And so for us, we must understand, we must go up to that mountain and go in by faith. When I went back to the United States several years back, I had forgotten a lot of my American culture. Americans are very strange people, you know. And so I'd I'd gone to a store just before its opening hours, and I'd gotten there a few minutes, if I remember correctly, it was before 8 a.m., And I pulled up my car, and I waited for them to unlock the doors so I could go in. It was a hardware store, if I remember correctly. And I sat in my car, and 8 o'clock came, and no one came and unlocked the doors. And I waited for a few more minutes, 5 after 8, 10 after 8, a quarter past 8. No one came to unlock the doors. And I thought, you know, these Americans aren't prompt like the British people are. They open right, right on the dot, and here are these Americans are not opening on time. And while I was thinking that, a lady in another car got out of her car, walked up to the doors of the hardware store, and what do you think happened? They divided just like that. And I thought, what was I thinking? I was thinking someone's going to come and unlock the doors. I would see someone, maybe an employee, come and unlock the doors and open the doors, but they were automatic doors, and the lady walked right in. I could have walked in at 8, but I didn't. I was waiting for something to see that I would know it was all open. And you know, so many times in our Christian lives, we are very much like that. We will sit and watch God do a work, but we will not be engaged in it because no one invited me. I didn't see someone come and ask me to be part. God's already commanded us to be a part of His work. You don't need an invitation. You've been given a command. And we will never get engaged Just watching other people, we have to walk up to the door. And when we walk up to the door, God can open a door no man can shut. 
In your life, is there something that you say, this is a, this is a difficult area. This is a mountain in my life. I don't know how to conquer it. I'm not sure how I can overcome this thing. God can give you victory, but you must walk in faith and trust God in faith and walk up to that mountain and go in and by God's grace, God will enable you. Now, let me say this. All I've said up until now would only be a motivational talk if I just said to you, do your best. Grit your teeth. Curl up your toes in your shoes and dig your fingernails into the palms of your hands and say, I'm going to do really good tomorrow. I'm going to be my best self. If all I was going to tell you is to do that, this would be no more than a motivational talk. We cannot do this in our own strength or power. Would you take your Bible and turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Luke? And we find in Luke chapter 9, another interesting place. The Lord Jesus Christ is here in Luke chapter 9 at what many people call the Mount of Transfiguration. Many people believe depending on the the Bible students you may read after, that this this may have been Mount Horeb. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anyone could say for certain. But here they are. The Lord Jesus Christ is revealed in His glory. He glows so brightly no one can look upon Him. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, notice what happens in Luke chapter 9 and verse 30. And behold, there talked with Him two men, which were Moses and Elias who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish, notice this, at Jerusalem. So here is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And here is Moses, and here is Elias, and they are speaking together about the death that Christ would die. Very shortly, he would go up to Jerusalem and die, and Elijah and Moses are speaking to him about this. And Christ's Shekinah glory is revealed. He's glowing so brightly. No one can look upon him. Think about that. And on that mount of transfiguration, in that place where amazing things are happening and being said, what does Peter suggest? Notice verse 33. And it came to pass as they parted from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. You know, Peter has the same tendency we have and the old Israelites had. Let's just stay here. God has blessed us here. We've met with Moses and Elijah. We've seen the glory of Christ revealed. Let's just stay here. This is wonderful. And don't all of us want to stay on the mountaintop. But the Bible helps us understand something very important. Notice verse 36, And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. And it came to pass, verse 37, that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And there was a man, the Bible tells us in verse 38 all the way down to verse 43, that had a son who was demon-possessed, and the other disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And Christ came and healed that boy. Why? Because there's more than just the mountain. There's other work that must be done. There's other territory that must be claimed. But that's not the greatest miracle. Notice, if you would, the Bible tells us in verse 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
Jesus Christ had work to do. Jesus Christ had territory to take. Jesus Christ had a battle to fight and conquer he would. He would die on the cross. He was headed from the place of fellowship with Moses and Elijah to a place of fierce battle where he'd face sin and hell and death and the devil himself. And may I say to you, he is the only way of salvation. There are people here in this room tonight, I don't know very many of you at all, but I would say with a group of folks like this, there are people here tonight who do not know that they've been born again. They are not certain if they have eternal life. They have never by faith come to Christ in repentance and faith and believed on Christ alone for salvation. They have no evidence of being born again by God's Spirit. They may have said at some point in their lives, yes, I'm a Christian, or I've said a prayer, or I've, I was baptized as a little baby, or perhaps they used some other thing. I've taken communion, or I've attended a church. But if those are the things you're depending on to be right with God, the Bible tells us none of those things will do. In fact, if we do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible tells us very clearly that hell, or the lake of fire, will be our eternal destination. Now, hell is unlike anything you could ever possibly imagine. (laughs) People use it as a curse word, as a byword, but it's the most serious topic you could ever think of. Unlike this barn, there are no exits in hell. No one can escape. Hell is something that is eternal. You are forever dying, but never dead. And you will suffer. Why? Because God is holy and must in justice punish our sin. But the good news, the greatest news, is that someone came to bear our sin. Someone came to take our punishment. And the billows of God's hatred for sin fell on Christ. The Bible tells us that He and His body bore our sin on the tree, and He shed His blood that was the perfect payment and the only payment that could ever be sufficient to pay for my sin and for your sin. And though the payment has been made, have you believed? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you believe Jesus died in your place? Do you believe He is your Savior? You see, back in Exodus when... The children of Israel left Egypt that night of the Passover. Do you remember what God told Moses to tell all of Israel? That the firstborn in each home would die unless the Passover lamb had been killed and the blood had been applied to the lintel and doorpost of the house. And Moses told the children of Israel, now not only did the children of Israel slay the lamb and its blood was shed, but the blood had to be applied. It was not enough just for the blood to be shed, but the blood had to be applied. And when the blood was applied, the death angel would pass over that home. Why? Because death had already happened there, and the evidence was on the doorpost. There may be people tonight who say, Oh, I, I, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I give mental assent to perhaps some historical Jesus who lived many years ago, and he died on a cross, and, oh, that's all fine. My friend, it's far different to say, With mental assent, I I believe, I agree, that it is to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in true salvation and know that your heart has been changed by the power of the gospel. For the blood to be applied to your life, has the blood been applied to your sin? That's the question tonight. And for every unbeliever here, there's a welcoming Savior. 
But for every believer, may I ask you just a few questions this evening? Are you in a place where you look in the rearview mirror of your life and you can see so many wonderful blessings, miracles, encouragements? God has met you and you have wonderful testimony of those things. But in the future, you don't really have much hope that there'll be something great God can do through your life. You don't really foresee yourself. Perhaps you're like, you're like some people who, as they age, they think they just need to do a bit less. I can remember a very dear friend of mine, Mr. Martin Tomlinson, who loved this ministry and a dear friend of your pastor as well. He went home to be with the Lord just a year and a half ago, just after his 80th birthday. I can remember him coming to me at Beaches Road. We didn't have a lot of folks there at that point in time. It was growing and, and, and things were going forward, but there still needed to be so much work done. And he came to me and he said, I'll be turning 70 soon. And he said, I just wanted to talk to you. His wife had given me the warning. His wife kindly said, he's going to talk to you. And these are some things he's thinking about. And these are some things he's been talking to me about. So I appreciated her her update, and he came to me and he said, you know, I'm turning 70 soon, and I've just been thinking. I've helped build other churches in the past, and in my younger days, I did lots of other things, and I, I just think probably it's time for us to kind of step back. He used that phrase, we're going to step back. We're going to just, you know, we'll be here, we'll be faithful, we'll still attend, we'll still be involved and sing and pray and all those things, but but we're going to step back and maybe some of the younger people can take up some of the things that we've been doing. I've been driving the bus and, you know, some of the other folks can do that. And I think we're going to take a step back. And I was sad to hear that. And I said, Mr. Tomlinson, would you please pray with me? Because I believe the greatest things that God has for you are not in your past. I believe they're what God has for you in your future. Because God has allowed you to still live and still be here. And we prayed. We remember praying, and I prayed, and Mr. Tomlinson did pray this same prayer. God, would you allow the next decade of Mr. Tomlinson's life to be more fruitful than any other decade of his life? Would you enable him by your grace and by your kindness and mercy to see more accomplished for God's glory from 70 to 80 than from 0 to 69? Now, that's quite a... Quite a prayer to pray. And he prayed it, and he said, I'll speak to my wife. And you know what they did? They didn't take a step back. They took a step forward. They turned, and you know what they began to do? He became a part of the Crown Christian Heritage Trust, and places like Tisley, East Birmingham Baptist Chapel, were started, and places like Liverpool, and so many other things happened. And Mr. Tomlinson had the time of his life from age 70 to age 80. Mr. Tomlinson died during the coronavirus shutdown about a year and a half ago, and I wasn't able to be here, but I did talk to him on the phone for the last time. I remember specifically, I didn't know it would be the last time we talked, but maybe he had an understanding of that. And he said to me on the phone, and he cried, and he said, you know, when we prayed that prayer, he said, God has answered that prayer. And from 80 back to 70 has been the most fruitful, the most blessed, the most encouraging time of my entire Christian life. He said, God has answered our prayers. Can you imagine that? Here is a man like Caleb or Joshua who's up in years. And somebody says, well, lay down your sword, old man. You, 
you've done enough. And he says, no, I, I want that mountain. Give me the mountain that God has given to me. I want what God has for me and my age is immaterial and how long I've been saved is immaterial because I serve an eternal God who desires more of me than I've yet given Him. Who desires to use me in ways that I couldn't even imagine, but I want to yield my life to Him. There's a step forward for all of us to take. There's advancing all of us need to do. But we can't do it if we say, well, you know. I've done my bit. I'll be here. I'll be faithful. You can count on me, preacher. I'll be here, but, you know, other people can take up my part. Don't you be that person because you'll lose out on all that God has prepared for you. We must walk forward by faith. I don't know what God has for the future of this church. I don't know where you'll be meeting. I don't know what God will do in opening a place, but I know this. It's going to be an amazing adventure. And God has brought people in of His choosing. And you know what He desires for us to do? Not, not become the critic. Well, I told you that wouldn't work. That barn, you know. I suppose we'll have to go back to the marquee. These people, if they just make... Don't be that person. Advance with God. Be a part of what God is doing. There is no life like the Christian life. There is no adventure like walking with the Lord. There is territory to claim. There are lost people everywhere to be reached with the gospel. There's an old story of a man named Ben during the American Civil War. And Ben was not someone who had been given all the uniform or given the weaponry of the regular army. He had just volunteered and he brought his old squirrel rifle with him. He didn't have a uniform. He didn't have the proper hat. He just had old clothes and his old squirrel rifle. And there was a battle that was raging. And the, the enemies were fighting and everyone seemed to be in an uproar. And Ben couldn't be found. And they said, where'd Ben go? No one knew where Ben went. And finally, after the battle was over, here comes Ben with over 30 prisoners of war. He's marching them through the forest and he has a squirrel gun pointed at them and everybody said where did where did these prisoners come from ben he said i got them ben with your squirrel gun and no uniform and you're just out here on your own he said i got them they said ben how did you do it he said it's easy boys the woods are full of them and you know we say we we wish we could see more people saved but you know everyone's hard today and this world's so wicked today, and culture's so dark today, and so many horrible things are happening, and we're going to wring our hands and furrow our brows and think, God's turned His back on England, and the United Kingdom has sent away its day of grace, and there's no real hope, and we all deserve, we all deserve the, the worst possible things, and we're all lowly earthworms and all those horrible things we can think to say. Or we could say, you know what, there's still a God who has given us the most powerful weapon in the world. The power of God unto salvation is the gospel. The woods are full of people who need the gospel. And if we'd get the gospel to enough people, we'd see many, many people come to know Christ. But we can't do that if we're just sitting by, if we're just the critics, if we're just the people who say, let me give a comment on that. I'll be here, preacher, but don't expect me to go forward. May all of us, by God's grace, say, there's territory God has for me to take. 
And I've loved Horeb. I've enjoyed Horeb. I've, in, I've, I've been enriched and helped in my past. But my past is my past. And God wants to use it for my future. And I'm going to trust God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, help us be advancing Christians. Not just Christians who remember what advancing was, but may we engage our own feet in moving forward with the gospel. Bless the Moorlands and bless this church. Bless those who lead here. Bless the Sunday school workers and the bus drivers and the teen workers and all the people that are seeking to get the gospel out to a world in need. We're thankful for the powerful message of the gospel that transforms people's lives and turns dead sinners into living saints. Please help us proclaim it and never be ashamed of it. Bless this church. Provide in amazing ways. May they trust thee and have great faith for thou art a great God. Save the lost. Save the one tonight who is nearest hell, we ask. And work in the lives of Christians who need to turn again and take their journey and claim land yet to be claimed for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. It's time to move forward. I don't know where that is, but it's time to move forward. May the Lord guide us onwards and